Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Max Lugavere, author of Genius Foods and The Genius Life. And if you want to learn how to build amazing relationships, you should definitely be listening to Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chapel, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm chatting with a really, really cool guy. His name is Max Lugavere. Max is a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Genius Foods, and the host of the number one iTunes health podcast, The Genius Life. Lugavere appears regularly on The Dr. Oz Show, The Rachel Ray Show, and The Doctors. He's contributed to Medscape, Vice, Fast Company, CNN, and The Daily Beast. And he's been featured on NBC Nightly News, The Today Show, and in The Wall Street Journal. He's a sought-after speaker and has given talks at South by Southwest, TEDx, the New York Academy of Sciences, the Biohacker Summit in Stockholm, Sweden, and many, many others. Max and I get along really well here on the show today, so I think that this is going to be a conversation that you all will really really enjoy. Just a couple of things that we kind of get into. Number one, how he became a New York Times bestselling author, starting from nothing. A lot of people become New York Times bestselling authors because they kind of rig the system or they have existing followings built up in other platforms. Max did not have any of that and he still became a bestselling author on the New York Times bestseller list. So 
We talk about that. We talk about what led him into the health and wellness space to begin with. And then we talk about what life was like growing up for him, which may or may not surprise you. So there's so many great things that we get into here on this episode. I can't wait to share it with you. But first, really quickly, before we get into that, if you are a six or seven figure business owner, then listen up, okay? Because if you want to know how to create and maintain relationships with some of the people that I've had on my show, and you want to become an authority in your niche, have your dream clients or customers come to you instead of you going out and grabbing them, and you want to amplify your message to the masses, then I challenge you with this. Make it your goal to start a podcast in 2020. My only regret in my journey was waiting. I knew that I wanted to launch a show in October of 2016, but I didn't launch until August of 2017, which is almost a full 12 months of just waiting and procrastinating. So during that waiting period, I just lost nothing but time and money and the ability to build a skill set faster. So stop waiting and just get started. But you're going to want to get started the right way, or you're just going to continue wasting time and money. It's going to be an even longer process for you. So that's where I come in. I help high-level entrepreneurs just like you create, grow, launch, and monetize podcasts. So if you're a six or seven-figure business owner and you want to see if we're going to be a good fit to work with each other to get your show out into the world, then head over to travischapel.com slash apply. That's travischapel, C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L.com slash apply to book a discovery call and we will chat real soon. And now enjoy my conversation with Max Lugavir. Max, what's up, my man? Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Travis, thank you so much for having me, man. What, a, what an honor. Yes, sir. Of course, of course. So I want to go back here. This is how I start up every show. If you're listening, you know this is how I like to start these things off. You've accomplished some amazing things and you've done a lot of things that a lot of people are trying to do right now, but just can't seem to figure out. So I want to get into some tactics with you here in a second. But first, let's go ahead and build a little bit of context, some background here. Talk to me about uh, middle school Max. What were you like, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old? What kind of hobbies or did you like school, sports? What was life like? growing up for you? Wow, dude, I've never gotten that question before. Bringing me back to middle school. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. You're welcome. Oh, man. Well, hopefully this good memories are not bad. <laughs> yeah, all good memories. I mean, I had a pretty good upbringing. I was born and raised in New York City in Manhattan. And I, uh, you know, had parents that tried very hard to expose me to a number of different potential interest areas so that I could find that which I was passionate about. And, uh, you know, I was they made me take piano lessons. I took some language lessons. And even though my primary residence was in New York City, we also had a, a home out on the eastern tip of Long Island. So I got to expose myself to nature very frequently, the water, the bay. And I was a pretty good kid, man. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I had it pretty good. I mean, I, I kind of joke sometimes that like I uh, was the definition of privilege growing up in that I had good parents, you know, I wasn't like abused or anything crazy like that. And they really pushed me to do the things that I love to do. You know, there was yeah. not a lot of pressure to, I mean, they wanted me to get good grades, obviously, that was big in my family. But growing up, and you know, it's not like they wanted me to go into their follow their career paths or whatever. Yeah. Both of my parents were actually entrepreneurs. So. Oh, really? Interesting. Do you, yeah. do you feel like that was probably part of the reason that they did that since they kind of both took more unconventional paths, especially for back? I mean, our, the generation above where we are is like they were, you know, if you're an entrepreneur back then, it was, it was not the cool thing. Yeah, exactly. They, I mean, both of my parents came from nothing. They were both very poor growing up. I mean, not poverty stricken, but they... You know, just like a few generations in New York, Jewish families that just didn't have a lot of money. And they together were able to create a business that was very successful for the 80s and 90s. And that was the time in which I was 
that I came about. But it wasn't that they had made money as uh, doctors or lawyers or any of those like traditional career paths. They launched a business in New York City's Garment Center, actually, of all places. Wow. And so, yeah, I think that, that that whole entrepreneurial struggle, like just, you know, that journey of like trial and error over and over again until you find something that works, that's sort of the kind of thing that I grew up seeing in my parents. And um, ultimately, they were able to find something that worked for them. And yeah, so I, I feel like they that was ingrained in me. Those entrepreneurial characteristics, like to not fear authority, to always sort of question and to strive for, you know, for a better life, ultimately. So did you feel like an internal or external pressure from them or from peers or from authority figures in your life to like attend college or pursue that path? Well, yeah, I mean, I definitely like going to college was sort of there was no question that I was going to go to a university. Um, yeah, that's it was just, just expected. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I also growing up, I was um, so I, there was this weird dichotomy for me because my grades were always kind of average, but I was always in very hard to get into schools. And I was always in the honors programs within those schools, even in elementary school. I went to public schools my whole life in New York City. We have great public schools. And I was always in the, in the gifted program. But despite that, my grades were never amazing. But being in that, in that environment and also being around kids that really came from all different ends of the socioeconomic spectrum, my parents, as I mentioned, did pretty well. But that put me in the 0.1% in terms of where I stood in relation to my classmates oftentimes in terms of like socioeconomic stature. Right. And so having friends that some of them came from very poor backgrounds, it made me see kind of the lifestyle that I wanted to maintain for myself growing up. And so I knew that college was definitely going to be par for the course. And actually, when I started college, I was a pre-medical student. So Oh, really? Yeah. So even though there was not that pressure to be a doctor um, in my family, I realized from a very young age, this uh, passion for health and nutrition. And so, you know, even though there, I would have been the first doctor in my family lineage. Yeah, that's what I ended up going to school for initially, but then I ended up switching out of that role. And that's also a testament to how my parents raised me as well, because again, they raised me just to follow my bliss. And halfway through college, I realized a love of creativity and storytelling. And, and, I, and I made that transfer over to being a, a major in motion pictures and psychology. Motion pictures and psychology. Yeah, double major. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like, like, like hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is, uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters 
is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need hire, you need Indeed. Do you look back on your college, like now knowing what you know and the career path that you've chosen, do you look back on your college and think, hey, I'm, maybe this particular field might have been a better area for me to study or are you pretty happy with those decisions at this point? I definitely think that if I would have gone through the medical school route, because I'm very passionate about health and medicine. So, I mean, I feel like I would have probably excelled. It's hard to say. And, and truth be told, one of the reasons why I decided to opt out of that path is because, as I mentioned, my grades were never great. Even though I was always intellectually gifted and perennially curious, I just, I feel like I struggled in many ways with aspects of executive function growing up, sort of like the very aspects of cognition that are required to really excel in an academic environment. So, yeah, yeah, you know, like focus, attention, planning, all of the things that basically make you not a procrastinator and make you kind of a bookworm. And I was never that growing up. So the career path that I ended up taking, I mean, it's kind of funny because as I was on the journey that it's taken me to get to where I am today, many of the skills that I had harnessed or honed rather would have seemed random, but in retrospect, they all fit together perfectly. And yeah. I feel now more than ever that I'm totally aligned with my purpose and doing exactly what it is that I should be doing. And that that decision to not go through medical school was actually the right one. What were some of those skills and did you do it on purpose? Did you hone some of these skills on purpose or was it something that you look back on now and go, oh, that was clearly me working on this particular thing? Yeah, I mean, it was never, I never set out to, like none of the things that now are instrumental in my day-to-day professional life were, they were just interest areas for me and I just pursued them naturally. You know, I've, I've been a, in many ways where I kind of was weak academically, I was strong in terms of my ability to teach myself different things. So, you know, when I was in beginning in middle middle school, actually, and, um, and in high school, I taught myself how to program in a few different computer languages. And I was just sort of a, a bit of a prodigy on with computers just in general. And I know that sounds kind of funny now to say, but I'm 37. So when I was in high school, the internet and like websites were really sort of just coming about. Yeah. And it seems like ancient history, but I was a bit of an early adopter. So I taught myself to program in a few different languages. And I also became proficient at the time in Photoshop, which was a, a Windows application that I uh, was able to take hold of a copy of. And so and this, of, these were just for fun. Like these are just, just like, fun. yeah, just for the kicks and giggles. Yeah, just for fun. Yeah, I just uh, I was really interested in computers, I think, as a way of I wasn't into sports or or anything like that. I was hmm. more into comic books and computers. So yeah, I just was like very curious and and I got into programming. Got it. So now leading into career wise, so you graduate with the double major in psychology and what was the other one? 
Psychology and film, motion film. pictures. So what do you do with that? <laughs> like what, what, yeah. what's, what's a career path that was optimized for psychology and motion pictures? Man, well, I basically manifested a dream job. As soon as I graduated from college, I was hired by a TV network that former USVP Al Gore co-founded. It was called Current. And yeah, that was like the perfect job to utilize those skills. So when I say the formal major that I had in college, it was motion pictures, but my actual focus was documentary filmmaking. I became really interested in the immediacy that uh, digital video allowed at the time to tell stories that uh, were more like immediate in nature. I mean, I guess like journalism is a good way to illustrate that because I just like the whole narrative films have always inspired me creatively, but the actual process of making one of those films just to me seemed too arduous. Whereas digital filmmaking allowed the possibility to tell real life stories. And that is what interested me most. And psychology was my, I chose as a double major because I've always been sort of interested in the brain, obviously in science. And I just felt like that was a good way to keep a foot in the realm of science as I pursued more creative avenues. So both of those majors actually lent themselves to me becoming a an on-camera journalist. So mm. the documentary filmmaking focus that I had led to me ending up becoming a, a a host and a producer for this news and information network that launched in 2005 called Current. And there, I did that for six years. I got to work with some of the best of the best journalists in the field. Many of them are household names or at least have worked with journalists that are now household names early on in their careers. So I got to learn from these incredible storytellers. And part of the job entailed communicating to a huge audience um, topics that were, I guess, a bit more delicate in nature, you know, whether it was breaking news or geopolitics or what have you. And so that actually set me up in a really beautiful way to do what I'm doing now, which is obviously communicating health science. Yeah, I was going to say, in retrospect, it really is the perfect combination of two majors. Like first first glimpse, it seems super random, but for an author to basically take storytelling and psychology, there's not many better routes to go down than that. I'm curious to know when along this path you decided to really tackle the health space because it seemed like up to, I mean, you, you said you always had an interest in health, but up to this point didn't seem to be paramount or a priority. Yeah, I mean, it was a personal priority for sure. I mean, I've, I've always sort of been just in my own life, a tinkerer, and I've always been interested in fitness and nutrition and mm -hmm. always sort of integrating my learnings on the side into my own life. And also, I, I noticed this pattern that throughout college and even in, in my later high school years that people would ask me like health and fitness related questions. And I was not a jock or anything like that. It's not like I was walking around with like a six pack or anything at the time. But I definitely, I feel like whenever I would talk about health and nutrition, it was one of the few topics actually in my life where when I would talk, people would listen. I feel like I had this sort of in intuition about it. Whereas if you were to sit me at a table and have me talk about politics or sports or world history or anything like that, it's just not an area where I can speak to an intelligent degree, yeah. whereas health and nutrition, it's just always a topic that I was researching. And from a very young age, I mean, from middle high school, I was interested in ketogenic diets and, wow. you know, I was supplementing with creatine and digging into the primary literature. So, but when did it become a... a and, and, the, and these, and, and to put in context too, this was like, I mean, when you, you're saying high school, this is what, mid, mid nineties, mid to, yeah, mid to late nineties, late nineties. Yeah. So like, like 19, 1998. So a lot of these things like ketogenic diets and things like were not buzzwords or hot topics back then. 
Definitely not. Definitely not. No, I was in um, like, I think they were called news groups. Like they were the earliest forms of, of message boards on the internet. And I was really interested in bodybuilding and really getting like a science-based perspective on hypertrophy and like how to maximize anabolism, which is like muscle muscular gain in the gym. And that, these are all the kinds of topics that I was like really kind of nerding out about when I was in high school. And again, super early adopter for this. You know, nobody nobody right. was publicly talking about any of these topics. And, you know, I'm not going to say that that replaces academic training in the topic, but the purpose is to show that, you know, this is a topic that I've been long immersed in and had sort of a foundational knowledge of. And then when I left my job at Current TV in 2011, it was at that time in my personal life that my mother had fallen ill. She basically started to display the earliest symptoms of what would eventually be diagnosed as a form of dementia. And at that time, I was sort of between jobs. So I had the ability to spend more time with her in New York City. I was living in LA for the TV gig. But finally, I was able to spend more time with her. And when she was finally diagnosed with a neurodegenerative condition, at the Cleveland Clinic, I was with her. At that point, I decided that the only thing that really mattered to me from then on out was trying to figure out why this would have happened to my mom. What, if anything, could be done to help her from a nutritional or, or lifestyle standpoint? And in tandem with that, what could be done to prevent it from happening to myself? So that's actually where all of the skills that I had harnessed on current TV as a journalist, as a, as a quasi-public figure, um, media personality, all sort of came to use because in any chance I could get. But then at a certain point, I realized that I could exploit the credentials that I had as a journalist. And I started reaching out to scientists and researchers all around the world to get an even closer look at the science, if you will. It's amazing how experiences like that can really shift what's important to us in life and what path we eventually go down. Do you think, Max, having experienced something like that, that really forced you to kind of head more in the direction that you've ended up going down. Do you think that there's a way to manufacture those types of things? Or do you think that it, it's, it's just something that we just are kind of at the will of what life does or what life happens to us? I find that a lot of people lack the motivation to go after what they desire unless something traumatic happens or they experience something that tells them different. That's a really good question. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you have to, I feel like people generally are not motivated, especially when it comes to health and wellness related topics until something bad happens. And that's kind of unfortunate because in many cases, when something bad happens, it's like already late in the game, right? But yeah, I mean, I think, I think if you've found what it is that you're passionate about, there are certainly steps that I've taken over the course of my journey to get to where I am today that are reproducible. I didn't come from a, an academic background, as you know. I didn't you know, go through medical school. But at the same time, I've been able to learn a tremendous amount about health and nutrition and the brain. I've been able to learn so much about nutrition, in fact, that I've been called in to teach doctors about the topic. So I think that once you're able to find what it is that you're passionate about, and you know, I know that that's a journey for many people. And sometimes it's a process of elimination as well. Yeah, you know, I've, right, I've always had right. many passions. I've always had many passions, but it wasn't until my mom got sick that I realized that none of the other things that I was passionate about really, oh, how can I say it? I mean, you know, they, they kind of, it's not that they it's don't like matter. It's pale in comparison. Yeah, I mean, they still matter. I'm still passionate about all the things that I was passionate about before, but I'm like obsessed yeah. with health and nutrition. 
Yeah, yeah. I think there's a difference between like being knowledgeable about something and being passionate about something. Yeah. You know, this is something that I talk to. Uh, so I'm, I'm a podcast coach and consultant. And this is something I talk to a lot of my clients about is when you're interviewing people to search for the passion points, because a lot of people, especially someone like you, like you can talk intelligently on a number of different topics. There's a lot of things that you and I could go down and talk about in this interview. But clearly the thing that you are most passionate about, the thing that fires you up the most is nutrition and being able really to take control back into our hands of how our lives end up through nutrition. So I want to kind of get into that a little bit of that conversation at this point. So moving into this sort of career path that you ended up going down, talk to me about the the book writing process and how uh, the, the Genius Foods first came about. Yeah, I mean, I never ha- would have thought that I would have uh, written a book, let alone a book that's gone on to become as successful as Genius Foods has. But really what it came down to is the fact that at a certain point, I had amassed enough information and education on the topic of nutrition and dementia prevention and nutritional psychiatry that I felt like I could write the ultimate tome, the ultimate care manual to the human brain, and that I would be able to write it in a way that was going to inherently be more appealing to younger people, you know, a demographic that I felt could benefit perhaps most from the kind of information that I had to offer. So I wrote a book proposal and I remember pitching it out to four different publishers in New York City and I got rejections from three of them. And one of them gave me the green light. One of them made an offer and uh, I wrote the book. I labored over it for, I made it my full-time job actually for a year Hmm. to write the initial draft of the manuscript. And then you have another like year of editing after that. How were you able to do that? Just out of curiosity. Like savings or like what, what, what at that point was, was bringing in income? I mean, I had some savings and I still had some residual cachet, I guess you could say, from my prior TV work. So I had a few speaking gigs. But one of the most crucial things that I did to make it all possible was I cut my living expenses dramatically. I moved from Los Angeles, where I was living prior to the book deal, back to New York City. For some of the time, I had actually moved in with my mom, although that wasn't a decision necessarily to costs. It was mostly to be closer to my mom, but I did, it did cut costs dramatically for me. And yeah, I just kind of lived a more lean lifestyle as I undertook the book writing process. And even the, the advance that I had gotten for the book, I mean, it was not a huge advance by any means. And in fact, I ended up investing half of it into like the PR What's up, everyone? Just wanted to take a quick second and give a shout out to my favorite podcasting app, Himalaya. If you're not listening to podcasts on this new app, you're definitely missing out. It's like a social media app, but for podcast listeners. Follow your go-to shows, like and comment on your favorite episodes, and download professionally curated playlists made just for you. So head on over to your app store or Google Play store and download Himalaya today and thank me later. I want to really hammer this point home on the living lean thing, because that's something that I do that I, I just see so many people not doing that I think is such a huge mistake. They, they put so much added and unneeded pressure on themselves to perform in these big projects that they're undertaking because they have to cover like $10,000, $15,000 a month in expenses that they literally just don't need to have just because they're trying to keep up with the Joneses and impress people. So I love that you brought this up because something that I'm really big on, you had enough self-awareness to understand that this book project was something that you really thought was going to help you move in the direction that you wanted to go. So instead of making up an excuse of why you couldn't take the time 
to work on the book efficiently. You decided to take a year off, cut your expenses, live super lean, maybe even a little bit uncomfortable or backtrack a little bit in terms of what society would say you should be progressing forward and go after the thing that you really wanted to go after. And I, I get this from people all the time that are just like, well, I can't do that now because I have this going on and this going on, this going on. And really all that tells me is like, well, you just don't want it bad enough. If you wanted it bad enough, you would do this and this and this to make sure that you had room to make that goal or dream happen. So really want to acknowledge you for doing that and recognizing that and for bringing it up because it's something that I don't talk about enough, but I'm really passionate or I really believe in. And then now let's kind of move into the vehicle conversation because this one's really big. A lot of people, what a lot of people don't understand about books and I've never written a published book myself. So I'm just going off of all my friends who have. What a lot of people don't understand is that deal with a publisher does not guarantee a successful book. So can you talk about how that process went for you and how you help the publisher sell more copies of your book? And yeah, success. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's true. Publishers, the book market these days is one such in that publishers have to basically take a bunch of different risks. And one out of every, I don't know, you know, I mean, I'm not a publisher, but one out of every 50 books, I'm sure, um, stick and become that perennial bestseller, right? So they've got to make a bunch of different investments, keep a, a diversified portfolio in authors, and then one is going to end up becoming like the home run. So my book was one of those where all the signs were there that it could be a book that sold a few copies. You know, I was, I didn't have a large Instagram following at all. So if you're wondering whether or not you need to be an influencer on, on social media, you don't. I didn't have a, an Instagram following of any um, significance. But at the time I was doing TV. So I was on the Dr. Oz show pretty regularly at that point. And I was doing another show called The Doctors with some regularity. And so they also, I think, saw in me that I was the perfect storyteller for this topic. You know, I was the mm. perfect journeyman to bring audiences along to learn about how nutrition can help improve the way that your brain works and to help procure uh, long-term brain health. So I was the right person for the job. They felt that. And so they, they gave me, they took a shot. But at the end of the day, because it's a numbers game for these publishers, they've got, they're releasing at any given month, a number of different books. And so for you to assume that they're going to come out and like all guns blazing, put all of their efforts behind your book when they've got all these other books that they've invested just as much money into, that's not going to be the case. So I realized that this was like a once in a lifetime, literally a once in a lifetime shot. You know, you release your first book once. And if it doesn't go well, there's probably no uh, second book. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, like you would, you would think that your chances are definitely diminished, right? If it doesn't go well, you're probably not going to write a second book. That being said, it's rare. It's very rare that first time authors become bestsellers. But yeah, I mean, I did realize that I thought that if there was any sanity in the universe, that this book was going to do well, because I really put my, you know, I put blood, sweat and tears into it. It was motivated by something very pure. For example, I know that many people write books these days to kind of serve as like funnels to their business. I did not do that. I wrote my book with the sole intention of putting out the best possible information into the world that I could and doing it in a compelling way. So there was no ulterior motive there. So I knew that I, I knew that I had labored over the book and that my intentions were pure, that it was a good book and that there was no other book on the topic in the same style as my book available to people. And that by it becoming a bestseller, it could do a world of good for people's health all around the world. And so I believed in it so strongly and I, I worked on it so hard and night and day that the idea of investing money into the project, but ultimately myself was a no brainer. You know, I had to because it was this once in a lifetime shot and I would have regretted not doing so. 
Yes. When you say I, I invested it into the book slash myself, what exactly were the methods? What like what did you invest? Did you invest into the actual marketing or did you invest into coaching to understand how to sell a book? Or, or what, what exactly did, do you mean when you say that? Yeah, no coaching, no marketing. So all of the marketing for the book was done by me personally. And there were no marketing tricks. I didn't buy copies of my own book or anything like that. All I did was I invested in a PR strategy to help me manage the PR, both the PR, the incoming PR requests. But then also I knew that I had a lot of relationships in the publishing world, like magazine publishing, as well as the TV world. So I hired a PR company to basically help me organize and sift through all of that stuff while also bringing, you know, any other potential opportunities that they could bring to the table. So that's just like purely PR, you know, that's distinct from marketing. On the marketing side, I did invest money into the editing of a book trailer, although I can't tell you what the ROI was on that. I have no idea how that may or may not have converted to book sales, but I did hire a friend of mine who I've worked with in the past who's an editor to help me put together a trailer for my book, which you can find on YouTube. But that's pretty much it. No big tricks, no smoking mirrors, nothing like that. At what point after your release did you realize that you had a potential bestseller on your hands or was it already a bestseller? Well, I saw it rise up the Amazon ranks really rapidly that week. Um, and what, what, what year was this, by the way? This was March 2018. So this okay. was, yeah. Very recent. Yeah. So, I mean, it was rising up the Amazon ranks really, really rapidly. And it hit, I think, the highest it ever reached was number four out of all books, which at the time, I mean, the the top five, I feel like it was Jordan Peterson's book. 12 Rules for Life. 12 Rules for Life. Yeah. It was not leaving the yeah. top five position. It was just right. there. It was like perennially up there. And I was really excited to have surpassed his book for a window. And um, no kidding. Yeah. And so that was, that was like the first week. And um, that week, it was the top selling, or one of the top selling advice books, miscellaneous how-to or advice books in the US. So it ended up making the New York Times list. So on the first week. So from that, a huge congrats on that, by the way. From there, was there a plan that you put into place to continue bolstering that brand? For a second book, like what, what did you did you start putting a ton of effort into social media and Instagram and all the other things that you have going on now at that point? Or was that a little bit before with some of the PR that you were doing? The Instagram kind of started a little bit before the launch of the book. I kind of had switched my Instagram philosophy as to how I approached that medium. And my Instagram account started growing sometime in 2017. And so I think when my book came out, I had like 70 to 80,000 followers already, maybe, maybe fewer than that. But yeah, I mean, I knew that that was a big part of the puzzle as well, because that's where the young people were hanging out in terms yeah. of social networks. And I knew that those are the types of people that I wanted to be reaching. And so I knew that I had to invest energy into Instagram. And when it came to figuring out what strategy was going to work, I basically tried everything. I was, I was not afraid to experiment and uh, to fail and to have a post you know, now and then that had no engagement because tinkering is ultimately what led to me figuring out the format that worked and ended up, that's the format that I've stuck with. And it's built me a huge following at this point. And then sometime after that, I launched my podcast, which is called The Genius Life. I think a few months after I launched Genius Foods. And that was, you know, just so the reason why I launched the podcast is just to continue having conversations with people that I could learn from PhDs, MDs, whoever can basically add to my knowledge base so that I can then explore further and then communicate those findings to my audience. Well, what's been a positive side effect of the podcast that you weren't expecting when you started it? 
Well, I, I had no idea that it was that it was going to be successful. I mean, when I first started, I didn't think that I was a good interviewer. I hear that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think that I was that I was very good. And there were certainly things that I would do that drove me crazy that, you know, when listening back to my early interviews, I would go back and I would edit out, you know, like a lot of ums. Yeah. And um, yeah, like just kind of meandering dead questions and dead spaces, right. questions that were like that took too long to get to the actual question. So, I, you know, the fact that it's that that it has reached the audience that it has to me is amazing like people come up to me and they tell me that they're a fan of the podcast and part of me internally i'm like really that's <laughs> that's that's so cool but i totally, are you sure <laughs> yeah yeah but over time i've gotten better and part of the reason why i've i've kept up with it is because i'm enjoying the process of becoming a better interviewer mm -hmm. and getting better at that skill so yeah i will admit that it has gotten better over time and the only reason that it's gotten better is because i've stuck with it yeah, it's so true. And uh, I mean, there's so so many things there to take away from that. But ultimately, it's just consistency, sticking with things and being willing to suck. I think yeah. people just aren't willing to suck, man. Like they hear your podcast 74 episodes in like it is right, but they, they don't go back to episode number one and hear like maybe awkward stumbling. But even you would be starting at a huge advantage because you've been on media and doing PR and creating content, and writing books and all this stuff. And people, I just think people just aren't willing to suck at something. They're afraid of the embarrassment or they're afraid of other people's judgment or something like that. But ultimately, you have to just come to terms with the fact that if you're just starting out in something, even though you think you're probably better than you really are, like you are going to suck and it's okay. Just keep doing it because yeah. eventually you're going to get better. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I used to go back and I used to edit all of my earliest episodes. Like the first dozen or so of my episodes I would listen to and I would edit out all the ums and all the likes and everything mm -hmm. like that. And if there was an inelegant question being asked, I would try, you know, all kinds of audacity acrobatics to like try to smooth out that question. But now... I'm at a point where, you know, sometimes, of course, I'll still ask a question that doesn't come out as elegantly as I would have hoped. But now I leave it in. I barely do any editing because I'm like, you know what? <laughs> sometimes I'm not as articulate as I want to be. Sometimes I have yeah. on days, I have off days, you know. For example, I'm doing a week right now where I'm off coffee. Every couple of months I do uh, like a once two week coffee purge where I do... Yeah. I'll either cut the coffee out completely or just do like decaf. And for the first three days, I feel like I'm like kind of moving a little bit underwater, but it's worth it in the end because your energy yeah. levels just like totally stabilize and feel amazing. I think it's it's worth it for every coffee drinker to try to like to do that occasionally. But anyway, so I did that for the first time a couple months back and it was actually more difficult than I thought it was going to be. I was like, oh, I'd, you know, I do this kind of stuff all the time. I'll just give up coffee for a week. And then like day four, I was like, has it been a week yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it's hard. And, and part of it, I think, has to do with the fact that we coffee is so baked into like our routines. Right. It's it's um, like ritualized, not yeah. just yeah. You know, good. I mean, I wake up and I look like I look forward to that cup of coffee. So that's really you have to get. So that's why I'll do like decaf, because at least it gives me a little bit of that placebo effect. But anyway, yeah. So over the past two days, I've recorded a bunch of different podcast interviews. And, you know, I could tell that I'm not function. I'm not firing on all cylinders necessarily. But even listening back at those episodes, as I prep them to go live, I'm like, you know, you don't even sound as bad as you thought you did while you're recording. Like, this is fine. It's great. Yeah, looking through here, man, you've, you've been able to have some some powerhouses on, uh, some some mutual guests that we've both had on, like Tom Bilyeu and Aubrey Marcus and Drew Manning. There's man, there's just scrolling through here. There's a bunch of just awesome, awesome people. If you were to pick a few that stood out, not necessarily like the biggest names or whatever, but like maybe the most impactful conversations that you have had, talk to me about a couple of those interviews. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm definitely not a like a, a celebrity chaser. So I mean, I'm not. If you see names that are that are familiar or that seem like they're um, more well known, it's only because I happen to be friends with them that I've had right. them on. But really, I think the, some of the best interviews are from people that you've never heard of. For example, so true. On, yeah. on my podcast, uh, Nicholas Coleman. He's a very good friend of mine. He's one of the world's few oleologists. He's a, an olive oil expert, and wow. I'm a huge fan of extra virgin olive oil. I think it's one of the greatest foods and condiments and certainly oils that we have at our disposal. And so it's episode 31 of my podcast, how to buy the best extra virgin olive oil. I'm just like geeking wow. out with him over this extra virgin olive oil. And he's so excited about it because it's like his life. He's dedicated his life to the olive. No and kidding. you just, you just kind of like comes through the headphones. It's like I, such a great interview. I didn't know that there was that much to know about olive and olives and olive oil until we were in Spain and we toured this like olive oil factory or manufacturer. It was really, it was really a farm, really. It, it just like I say factory, it gives this idea of like this giant facility with whatever, but it was more like a farm, like a family farm. And they made this olive oil and they, they were talking to us about it. I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that there was this much stuff to watch out for. Yeah, no, it's amazing. I mean, I, th I feel like there's something... There's a, everything has a, its own world. Yeah, it's so true. You could dive deep into so many different things that you just never thought had that much stuff to learn. Exactly. So coming up here towards the end of this conversation, man, I, I got I to gotta shift a little bit and chat about networking. And it's been sprinkled throughout the whole conversation as it usually is with somebody who's achieved as much as you have. But this is the question that I ask everybody to get this conversation going in the right direction. Max, do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important? And why? Well, I don't know if I would say that it's more important, but I would say that it's definitely very important. If you had to pick one, yeah. like to tell somebody, you know, hey, you, you either this year you're going to work on your what you know, or you're going to work on your who you know, yeah. what, what would you recommend? Oh, man. It's such a tough question. And that's what makes it a good question. Kind of a chicken and egg type thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, the thing is, it's like if a tree falls in the woods and no one hears it, it's like that kind of scenario, right? Like mm -hmm. you can know everything about a given topic, but if you don't have people in your corner that are there helping you to, you know, whether it's get it out or to give you feedback, then I think that your message is, is always going to be less effective. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, me personally, I've definitely put in the work and made sure that whenever it was that somebody would have me on their podcast for the first time to talk about health and, and nutrition science, that it was going to be a home run because I had done the homework, right? But on the other hand, success and getting out there and having people open doors for you so that you can continue to excel in whatever your vertical happens to be requires you to foster those relationships. And I think networking is a, is a crucial part of that. I meet people all the time that say that they don't like networking. And I'm like, well, how do you expect to be successful? You know, I mean, net yeah. networking is like, don't think of it like this, like business task, right? Just think right. of it like, like, showing up and being interested in other people because other you can learn from other people and have the faith to and the trust in yourself to know that other people can learn from you and that they genuinely want to learn from you. Right. Yeah. I, I tell people to stop making those distinctions between building friendships and networking. And I think people have this idea in their mind that networking and building friendships are these two separate activities. Like if I'm going to go networking, I'm going to go to the cocktail hour meetup with, I'm going to, I'm going to write my name on a little name badge thing. I'm going to stick that on my chest. Then I'm going to hand out as many business cards as I can. And I'm going to try to close somebody with some business at the event. And if it doesn't go well and I don't book any business, then it was an unsuccessful networking event. Then I'm going to go blow off steam with my friends at the bar and talk about 
sports and common interests and just like continue to build those friendships. And it's like, you're separating a single activity into two activities and doing the first one wrong. <laughs> you know, it should just be friendships just with people who also have interest in the things that you're doing. Like it's the same exact activity. We just keep distorting it because we want to drive revenue instead of worry about people. A thousand percent. I mean, I think, yeah, you meet people wherever you are. You don't have to be going to a cocktail mixer to, mm. to be meeting people with the intent of collaborating with them. I mean, life is a collaboration. You know, right. one, of the, one of the best things about life is meeting people and then making cool shit with them. So I've always got my feelers out to meet potentially interesting people, whether it's at my, the place that I eat lunch very frequently at in Los Angeles, or my, you know, my local supermarket, or even when I'm waiting around to get my car washed. If I see an interesting person, you know, usually I'll try to strike up conversation with them. And it's not before long where I'm mentioning something about what it is that I do for a living. And it's not, it's not a goal-driven reason why I would bring up what I do for a living. It's mm -hmm. purely a result of the fact that I genuinely love what it is that I do for a living. And I'm excited to talk to people about it or meet like minds that might have an interest in what it is that I do for a living. You know, I mean, who isn't, for example, interested in, in health and wellness? So yeah, I think you just have to like broaden your definition of what networking is out to incorporate just your day-to-day -day meeting people and connecting and, and building relationships. It's yes. It's all about. Yep, building real actual relationships with real actual people instead yeah. of just treating them like a number or another contact that you can put into your Rolodex or whatever it is. So kind of closing up here, Max, is there a certain thing that you've done, an activity or something similar that has enabled you to build some really high quality relationships with some of the people? Obviously, you, you have some amazing friendships and relationships with different people that have really been mutually beneficial. Has there been any sort of activity or or anything that you've done in particular to cultivate those types of things on purpose? Man, I would say, I think it's great to use social media for that purpose and to connect with people that way. I have, I would call them colleagues that I know only through Instagram and people whom I've never met in person. Um, so that's one way to do it. But also I think if you're just living your truth and living authentically, you're going to attract people that will support you and that will... Uh, rise to help make your efforts more fruitful for you. But then you should also do the same for those that you meet. Like take, like if you see an opportunity where you can jump in and help the people that you know, I mean, it's great to be owed a favor in life. So it's a wonderful thing just to like, to be generous with your time and with yeah. your, with your resources. And, um, and you know, those favors always come back to help. It's uh, one of the things that you do during a book launch is you basically call in all your favors. You get all of your friends to basically help you get the word out about your book. That's book launch 101. Right. But if you don't have any goodwill out there, you don't have any favors to cash in on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, prior to my book launch, I would do anything that my friends would ask me to do. I mean, obviously within reason, you know, right, you right. can't have like a, everybody's got that friend that's like kind of a mooch, you know? Yeah, the taker. Um, yeah, yeah, the taker, exactly. But yeah, I think within reason, be generous and give of yourself and then don't be afraid to ask for favor. Love that. Yep. Yeah, it's important. So many distinctions. There's an awesome book on this called Give and Take by Adam Grant and it really lays out 
uh, exactly what, what we we're just talking about, givers, takers, and uh, where they end up in the ladder of success and how to make sure you're at the top and not the bottom and different things like that. It's a fantastic, fantastic read. So if you're listening, go check that out. Max, oh, let's go ahead. Yeah, yeah, you should definitely do that. Adam is a fantastic author too. Let's go to move into the last segment here, my man. We're running out, out of time. Uh, this is just something called the random round. A few quick random questions, quick random answers. Ready? Yeah. What profession other than your own do you think that it'd be fun to attempt? Oh man, I would love to be a musician, like a professional musician, like a singer-songwriter or lead vocalist in a band. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and talk with them for an hour, who would it be? Oh man, what a good question. Uh, I'm going to say Albert Einstein. Why not? How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? Videos. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. I wake up, I drink some, some uh, mineral water, some, um, maybe some, I'll get some water from my reverse osmosis filter, throw some salt in it. And then other than this week, usually I'll be drinking a, um, a cup of uh, iced cold brew. What is your go-to pump-up song? Oh my God. These days, anything by the band Muse. I'm obsessed with, uh, with the band Muse. Setting business aside here, what is something, an activity in life that you are just not very good at? Anything athletic, <laughs> sports, okay. sports related. I, I mean, I'm a big fitness junkie, but when it comes to like any kind of like coordination, yeah, coordination, ten, even bowling, <laughs> yeah, billiards, I'm like terrible. So yeah, just throw up the bumpers, bro. You'll you'll get a good score. Exactly. As we get everything wrapped up here, my man, what is one place online where we're gonna be able to find you the most? Oh man, Instagram at Max Lugavere. And then if you listen to podcasts, which obviously do come and check out my show, um, The Genius Life. Yeah, 100%. Go check out some of Max's stuff. If you are interested in health and wellness, which if you are listening to this, you should be interested in health and wellness. I think everybody should have an interest in health and wellness because we don't have that. We don't have anything else. So go check out Max's stuff. Get a copy of his new book and go pre-order that on Amazon, The Genius Life, same name as his podcast, which you should also go check out. And then that's Max Lugavere over on Instagram. And that's M-A. X-L-U-G-A-V as in Victor E-R-E. Go check out his stuff. And uh, if you're listening to this right now, go ahead and screenshot this episode, upload it to your Instagram story, tag me at Travis Chapel, tag Max. I already spelled out his name and uh, give us a shout. I will say thanks for, for tuning in here. Max, thanks so much for coming to the show today. My man had a fantastic time. Travis, you're the man. Thanks so much for having me. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. As most of you know, I talk a lot about giving value to others. This podcast is one of the ways that I do that since all the content from the show is totally 100% for free. And when people ask me how they can add value to me, one of the ways I tell them is to head over to iTunes, hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and review. This not only gives me valuable feedback on what you think about the show, but it also helps me with Apple's algorithm. So please, 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 if you have not done that yet, head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review for the show. It adds tremendous value and it only takes a minute or two of your time. Also, if you have not yet registered for my live event out here at Top Golf behind MGM in Las Vegas this coming November, then you're going to want to head to buildyournetworklive.com to do that right away. Seating is extremely limited, so you need to act fast on this. Head to buildyournetworklive.com to grab your ticket today. Trust me, you are going to want to be a part of this inaugural live event so that in 10 years from now, you can brag about being one of the founding members. Plus, you know me, I promise I will over-deliver on value and make it worth way more than you are going to invest to get here. So have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.